Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Another reason I find this psalm interesting has to do with David's conclusion of them being corrupt and having done abominable works. And then he goes on to say, there twice, he says, there is none who does good. And if that sounds familiar, it should. Because the Apostle Paul actually quotes this psalm in his epistle to the Romans. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. As humans, each and every one of us are guilty of sin. None of us are spotless. David spoke of this in Psalms, and Paul said it again in Romans. Pastor J.D. teaches us today that though none of us are sinless, Jesus has offered himself up for our sins. Because of his sacrifice, we have the opportunity to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Psalms, chapter 11, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Silence them, Lord. Do whatever it takes to silence them. Help, Lord. And God will. He will always. And if there's anything that's going to come out of our time together through this amazing book of Psalms, it's going to be this, that God will always, always, always have the final word. Just wait. God will have the final word. We talked about it last week. God will defend you. Don't defend yourself. Let God defend you. Psalm 13, again, a title to the chief musician. Some, by the way, um, the question is asked, who is the chief musician? We don't know. Some have suggested that the chief musician is God himself. And that would certainly fit. So it's a Psalm of David again, and a short but very, uh, very good psalm and powerful psalm. And, and notice the, the first two words of this psalm. How long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider, verse 3, and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed against him. Let those who trouble me lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But, verse 5, and here it is again, I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Wow. Um. <laughs> I love this about Psalm 13 because it's one of those psalms 
where David starts off in total despair. And in six short verses, he goes from total despair to rejoicing in the Lord, trusting in the Lord, and praising the Lord. Why? How? I want to, I want to do that. I want to, I want to in six (laughs) short verses go from total despair to total praise. What's the secret? What what do I need to do? Oh, pray. Yeah, that's all he did. He prayed and it changed everything. Oh, his situation did not change. And this again, we're going to see and already have seen heretofore in the Psalms where David starts off this way, and by the time he gets to the end of the psalm, his whole heart has changed, though his circumstances have not changed. What's the deciding factor? What changed David's heart? Prayer. You've heard it said, I'm sure, that prayer does not only change things. Prayer changes the prayer. Prayer changes the prayer. The one who prays is the one who's changed. I tell you, there's been times in my life where over the years I have just cried out to the Lord and poured out my heart to the Lord and and wept and prayed and fasted and cried. and, And by the time I had poured out my heart and cried out my eyes to the Lord, there was just this change that took place in my heart. And again, there's a physiological explanation for that. Endorphins and serotonin and I don't know, all the onins and oxytocin and all the, you know, God-given chemicals in the brain. Did I say dopamine? Dopamine's a, a biggie. Adrenaline? can be a good thing. But all of these God-given chemicals are released in the body and they, they, they have this calming effect. And it comes vis-a-vis prayer. And again, please, please, please don't complicate prayer. The enemy would love nothing more than to make prayer complicated. Because if prayer's complicated, then we don't do it. If prayer is simple, then we do do it. And see, Satan knows that prayer is the deciding factor. He's a defeated foe. The thing that I've heard, this is uh, one of the best teachings I ever heard on prayer uh, is uh, this imagery of the thing that Satan fears the most is a Christian on their knees. Right? The thing that he, he doesn't, he's not threatened by you being in a Bible study. He doesn't like it, but he doesn't tremble when you are in a Bible study. He trembles when you're on your knees because he knows. Uh, (laughs) That's the deciding factor. A praying Christian is a victorious Christian. 
A non-praying Christian is a defeated Christian. I don't say that to, you know, put all this, you know, put this heavy trip on anyone. I'm only speaking again out of my own experience that I need to look no further in my own life to the defeat in my life, to the prayerlessness in my life. I found myself many a times just asking God to not pay me as my prayerlessness deserves. Oh, would to God that I would have been quick to pray. Just come to him. Cast all my cares upon him. All of us who are weary and heavy laden, just come to him. And he'll give you that peace. He'll give you that rest. He'll give you that calm. You think he, he wants to see you in turmoil, full of anxiety, full of fear, so stressed. You know, one thing about Jesus in the gospels, I never see him rushed, stressed in a hurry. Never. I see him grieved. Certainly, there were emotions. He would marvel at people's faith. Interesting. He would weep at people's lack of faith. He would express disenchantment when Peter would not pray there in the garden. Could you not? You know, and it's always, I I never imagine Jesus being angry. I always just imagine Jesus just kind of having pity, like, oh, oh, your faith is so little. Oh, why couldn't you just stay awake for an hour and pray? Not because I need you to pray. No, because you need to pray. Not because I said, have faith. No, because you need to have faith. And because you don't pray, because you don't have faith, the reason I'm so upset, for lack of, maybe that's too strong. The reason I'm so concerned, the reason I'm expressing such disenchantment is because of what you're being robbed of. Namely, that peace. That trust. Psalm 14. We'll get there. Don't look at your watches. (laughs) Again, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, verse one, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have come together They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. (laughs) Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord? There they are in great fear for God is with the generation of the righteous. You shame the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, verse 7. That the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. This is an interesting psalm and for a number of reasons. One of which is this reference that David makes to the fool 
who says, there's no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Some commentators suggest that verse 1 has this idea of the fool saying, not only there is no God, but also saying no to God. There is no God, no to God. In other words, the atheist in their foolishness deliberately rebels against God by saying no. No to God. As if to say, there's no God for me. Uh, One commentator explained it best this way. This might be helpful. I know it was for me. From the italics in the New King James Version, we can see that what the fool actually says is, no God. That is, no God for me. So his is a practical as well as theoretical atheism. Not only does he not believe in God, he also acts on his conviction. Very brazen, very deliberate, very arrogant. And that that is the fool. (laughs) Um, And it's all, well, that's a whole other topic for another time. It's just pride. It's just pride. Pure and simple, it is pride. Another reason I find this psalm interesting has to do with David's conclusion of them being corrupt and having done abominable works. And then he goes on to say, there twice, he says, there is none who does good. And if that sounds familiar, it should. Because the apostle Paul actually quotes this psalm in his epistle to the Romans, chapter 3, verse 12, he says, quoting, they have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Charles Spurgeon had this to say, what a picture of our race is this save only where grace reigns. There is none that doeth good. Humanity, fallen and debased, is a desert without an oasis, a night without a star, (laughs) a dunghill without a jewel. (laughs) I'm going to leave that one right there. A hell without a bottom. Wow but God, right? Because thankfully, by the end of the psalm, once again, in verse 7, David ends. Only this time, in this psalm, it's a reference to Jesus as the Savior of mankind. This is why we oftentimes quote this verse in Romans, among others, when we share the good news of salvation in the person of Jesus Christ, because there has to first be this realization that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none good, save one, Jesus Christ. That there's nothing we can do to ever be good enough. We might be good, but we'll never be good enough. We can never be good enough 
to get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ, who alone was good and perfect. Psalm 15. Again, a Psalm of David, verse 1, Lord, he asks, Who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised. But he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. In other words, he makes a vow, an oath, and he keeps it even though it hurts. He, by the way, (laughs) 11 things here. The the answer to the question at the beginning of the psalm is, Lord, who may dwell in your tabernacle, in your presence? Answer, 11. 11 things. That's the answer. Verse 5, he who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. So... Um, this is a whole sermon unto itself here in Psalm 15 with just five verses. Uh, it's a, a sermon that could bear the title, uh, You Want Nothing to Move You? Think of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts where he declares, Nothing moves me. I'm immovable. Nothing will shake me. Nothing will phase me. How so? Oh, because... Now, this is one of those psalms where we need to know a little bit about the backstory in order to understand what David is writing about here. It's believed that David wrote this at the time that and about when he brought the Ark of the Covenant back from Kirjath Jearim and For those of you who are in our uh, study through the Old Testament, you might remember that it was at this time that the ark had been captured by the Philistines and they placed it in their temple next to their god Dagon. This is an interesting god, half fish, half man. And so they they take the ark of the covenant the Shekinah glory of God, where the presence of God was. And they put it close in proximity to this half man, half fish God in their temple. And you know what happens? Oh, I tell you, it's one of my favorite accounts. I won't take the time. I think it's First Samuel 5. And it's in your notes for those of you who have the notes. But anyway, it's one of the, it's one of those passages in the Bible that just brings me great delight in reminding me that God has a great sense of humor because they take the Ark of the Covenant and they place it next to this statue of this Dagon, half fish, half man. And then they, they come there in the morning and the hands and the, uh, and, and the head have all come off. And they're like, daggone it. 
Uh, no, I'm sorry. That's, uh, I couldn't resist. It's just, I don't know if that's where they got that word, but probably not. But anyway, what are we going to do? You, listen, you, you know you've got a problem when you have to take care of your God. So they, they put their God back together, put him back up. The next day they come and this Dagon God is on his face, fallen before the Ark of the Covenant. You, you get the, I, I love that. I love that. I love that. So here, here's the point, and maybe this will kind of fill in some of the blanks of the psalm. Um, who shall dwell on your holy hill? Who shall uh, dwell in your, in your presence, in your holy tab, tabernacle? Not Dagon. <laughs> Dagon cannot. No, here's who can. And the reason that these can, who do these things, is because you're in the presence of God. Now, we don't have today the Ark of the Covenant, because the Ark of the Covenant points to the person of and was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And in fact, we talked about this. It's a fantastic study. If you're interested, uh, the, the angels, the cherubim over the mercy seat with the law and the manna and Aaron's rod inside. And when Jesus lay in that tomb, they had the two cherubim. It was a picture, a type and fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Well, I wish we had time to get into that. Let me bring it to a close. Um, David is summing up in this psalm, who can abide in God's presence and dwell in his holy hill. And he does so with these 11 characteristics, all of which... Jesus summed up with the greatest commandment of all. And it's in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. And it's when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. So they plot together, they come together, and a lawyer asks him a question to test him. And says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This is a lawyer. Well versed in the law. And this is Jesus' answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That sums it up even better. We're so glad you joined us today for Pastor J.D.'s continuing teaching in the book of Psalms. While our time with you is ending, your study of God's Word doesn't have to. Everyone can learn from the Bible, and everyone will be blessed when they open their hearts to its truth. As you spend time in Scripture today, ask God to share His heart directly with yours, and be open to whatever He has to teach you. Know that we're praying for you as you study and we'll continue to do so each time we produce a new edition of In Spirit and Truth. Are you in the Kaneohe area? If so, we'd love to have you come be a part of our weekly services. 
Calvary Chapel Kaneohe meets each week to spend time praising the Lord and learning from His Word. Find out more about us and get directions at inspiritandtruthradio.com. You can also hear additional teachings from Pastor J.D. while you're there or download our mobile app for Apple and Android devices to access these messages anywhere and everywhere. We'd also like to point out Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update. Each Friday and Saturday, Pastor J.D. updates us on where the world is in conjunction with the prophecies of the Bible. He takes the time to comb through the news and tell us how world events line up with God's plan as stated in His Word. If you'd like to view the latest edition of the Mideast Prophecy Update, visit our website. Again, that's in spiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for joining us today for Pastor J.D.'s teaching, and we hope you'll tune in again right here on In Spirit and Truth.